Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Hello, podcast humans. Hopefully you're doing better than I am because I'm sick. My child, my 10-year-old child got me sick with a cold, and that sucks, but you know, that's, it is what it is. Today, we are chatting with a great human being. His name is Jeff Garlock. He played bass in Orchid, in Panthers. He is a all-around good human. He has hosted also a wide variety of podcasts, which uh, you can all find on all of your favorite podcast stores. But most specifically, he does a podcast right now called Docs Till Death and also The Canon Canon, as well as a comedy podcast, because that's the world that he exists in now, as well as the punk hardcore world called What's That From? So you can find all that. But yes, he is an interesting person. I've actually... We've never met before <laughs> prior to this uh, this podcast, but I was aware he did a podcast a while back. I can't remember exactly when it wrapped up, but uh, it was like worst tour stories ever. And basically, it was just it was very engaging and entertaining and fun. And uh, he's existed in the the uh, UCB world, Upright Citizens Brigade. There you go. That's how cloudy my head is. The UCB world for quite some time. And um, yeah, he's just a prolific dude. And he has always been on my radar. So we connected and we podcasted just like two responsible humans do. But uh, I mean, Orchid, let's talk about Orchid, right? Just looms very large in my musical early years of understanding all of the different iterations of screamo and what bands can do and i just i loved seeing orchid for i mean probably a good two to three years i would see them at least once a year and just always enjoyed them so yeah we trade off a bunch of stories in regards to that but let's talk about some business pleasantries you can always email the show 100 words podcast at gmail.com that that would uh, help 
facilitate communication between us. Uh, I always love to hear guest ideas and all that stuff. So please do that if you so desire. And also follow along with this podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can follow. That is not the word that you use anymore in regards to subscription. We've transitioned into follow because subscription sometimes makes people a little bit scared where they're like, wait, am I paying money for this? No, this is free. And uh, tell your friends about the show because that's the only way this thing reaches the people that it needs to. So please do that because we've had a, a lot of interesting guests as uh, on as of late. Whew, that's a uh, that shows how tired I am right now. So uh, yeah, without any further ado, because that's what all podcasters say as they're about to introduce <laughs> their guest. But uh, yeah, Jeff was a great conversation. If you have not listened to Orchid or Panthers, do yourself a favor and check out all of his podcasts because they are fun and engaging. So here's Jeff, and I will talk to you at the end of the episode. put in the you know email when we connected of like you you probably totally booked orchid at one point which i i did not i did not book right. orchid but i 100 saw you guys every time you came through southern california but the most notable time that i remember was when you guys played at the pch club with uh, i think it was gasp and volume 11 which is dumb that i even remember that but oh right um and Would it was at the PCH club, like me. I said, in Wilmington. No. That's always the hard part. It's like right. <laughs> some, because the because like so many tours, I just merge everything, and certain ones stand out. And I'm like, definitely Volume Eleven, maybe not Gasp. Uh, <laughs> Because right. I think that would have been Brad, and I think honestly, not to call you out, I think you might Please. be merging. Uh, volume 11 and us, although that would have been with Panthers. No, it's all merch. I have no idea. I was going to say they did a show with Isis, Caven, Gasp, and Orchid. It was before me um, and might have been at PCH. But God, again, you, you know what? Life, life is revisionist. I mean, all of this that you'll get from me is revisionist as well. It's my version of it, and we're all wrong. So it's uh, very, no, respect. And I, I think you are very much correct because I definitely remember, uh, you know, ISIS sticking out. But regardless, mm-hmm. the, the, I definitely witnessed the performance of Orchid, as it were, um, you know, <laughs> the, the early aughts. And something that I was interested in, just because you are, you know, as much of a nerd about this stuff as I am, mm-hmm. I, the, you know, ebullition scene loomed large within Southern California and frankly, all of California and I know nationwide, but I'm sure in retrospect, it kind of hit differently on the East Coast than maybe it resonated here on the West Coast. What was your kind of perception of ebullition besides the fact like oh this is a cool label that's gonna pay us you know four dollars to record this stuff (laughs) right i think uh well i think partly because you know i joined uh halfway through it was a little bit of i did have a consideration of ebullition but like you just kind of get thrown into like yeah we're on ebullition i go okay that's cool um and but i would say like growing up in connecticut and when I first knew about ebullition and because of what I was into at the time, I was like, oh, that's the other kids. 
Uh, right. Uh, and, 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 and it was almost like a completely different scene in Connecticut to me. It was like the, the, uh, literally the other side of Connecticut and a different club is where in retrospect, I'm like, oh, those bands all played there. Except for every once in a while being like, oh, Frail played and I missed Frail. Um, Because in my mind, it's all a Venn diagram overlap of like, okay, if it was on Bloodlink, it might as well have been on Ebullition at certain points. Sure. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, when I, uh, you know, I I think it it didn't, it didn't loom. I, I bet you it just didn't loom as big on the East Coast, but it still was like. Ebullition was an odd label where, to me at the least, I like obviously love Ebullition, but I would be like, it's a label that I want to be on. And how many bands do I actually like that are on Ebullition? Mm, <laughs> um, sure. Uh, just because it wasn't my thing. I was like moshier. Like I was from Connecticut, you know, I was to a fair amount of mosh. Uh, and there's not a lot of mosh going on in Ebullition. Yes, um, more, more chaos, less mosh. Exactly, more chaos, less mosh, and 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 it took me a little while to shift over to the chaos. Um, so yeah, I would say ultimately, I'm sure for other kids it was a bigger thing, but like yeah, for a while it just it it didn't loom as big. It was just like a label I knew of, and then slowly, as I think my politics kind of morphed and my musical tastes like grew in hardcore. That's when also, though, I would say, like, I was like, oh, I, I kind of gravitate towards that world. I get it. Uh, I think I just get it more. Mm-hmm. Um, being a, you know, raised on hate breeds, uh, you're just not going to ebullition. <laughs> no. And it, it's so funny because, I mean, you and I and people of a certain age understand the delineations between that. And there were, you know, there were people like like us and many of our friends that, you know, flitted between both scenes because mm-hmm. that was quote unquote allowed, but there was a very strong contingent. You're either, <laughs> you're there this or you're that. And yeah. never the two shall meet. And uh, I talk about it a lot lately as I like, kind of like look back. Cause I try really hard to not look back with nostalgia, but with just like try to look at with like clearer eyes. Like it'd be like, well, I'm an older man now who's gone through many years of therapy. Uh, uh, how, you know, how exactly was the, how were these worlds kind of existing? And uh, yeah, it, it, there was just also weirdness at that time. Uh, you know, it's almost like too many think pieces have been written at this point about like all the scenes have merged. Like these kids today don't care about scenes, but they did care about scenes a lot. Like when we went exactly at our age and I think even more so than now, it was a lot like high school where like, I think maybe like you're like two years younger than I am. And that could be a lifetime. Yes. Like it would just be like, oh, you're into all of those bands because you started listening to hardcore in 95. Well, I started in 96. So I hate those bands. True. (laughs) Combined with regionality, which doesn't exist as much anymore. I know you hit the nail on the head with the regionality where it was there was so much that was attached to specific scenes sprouting up like you know we could talk about the Louisville scene and like you and I exactly know what mm-hmm. the, a band would sound like from that perspective not in a it's, bad way just it's a shorthand you know yes. exactly you're like all right that's a San Diego band all right that's a Louisville band yeah. all right that's a Florida band all right that's a Connecticut band but that's a New York hardcore band but then this is a Boston band um oh that's a Erie Pennsylvania band like, <laughs> yeah totally deep cut like, why yeah why do we know that there are a scene there but uh, you know, when you kind of uh, 
it, it, it isn't just like of the time. I think it's like when you kind of care about this stuff, you get more and more into the subgenre over and over and over. And the subgenres can kind of eat itself into kind of normos. You're like, what are you talking about? It's just punk. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, no, there's going to be a very big difference when you go state to state. There's going to be a very big difference of uh, Western Mass versus Eastern Mass. There's going to be a very big difference of Western Connecticut versus Eastern Connecticut in a w- odd way. Uh, that doesn't, uh, I think, come up as much anymore, but it definitely was a time of that delineation. Yeah, no, you're, you're very right. And so you as a person, I know, were you actually born and raised in Connecticut or did you come up somewhere else? No, born and raised in Connecticut. Uh, same same town my whole life. Uh, uh, both me and Jay uh, from Orchid and Panthers uh, both grew up in Cheshire, Connecticut. Uh, Jay started somewhere, uh, I'm blanking, I think New Hampshire, uh, but I was born and raised uh, in Connecticut. I lived in the same house in Cheshire, Connecticut, uh, whole life um, until I graduated. But then, you know, was an East Coast kid. Uh, after that, went to Boston and then slowly to New York and Brooklyn, stayed in Greenpoint, and then eventually now in Pasadena. Right, right. And you're, do you have brothers and sisters? Uh, I have one brother uh, who's eight years older than me. Oh, uh, yeah. So he yeah. was like very advanced. He was very advanced. <laughs> yes. And we were like, I, I, I love my brother, but we we're also very different. Um, and also, you know, again, therapy you start to realize that's like oh we kind of had even had different families in that he had an eight-year difference so what my parents were when he was a child was completely different than when i was a child um and combined with you know yeah my brother was uh, i love my brother and he was like a you know football star lacrosse star uh cool kid uh and just like you yeah and then there was me (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the opposite. <laughs> right, right. And I, I find it like you were talking about with the, you know, the connection of of finding, you know, punk and hardcore and then gravitating towards the fact that there was so much happening within Connecticut as far as the, you know, mosh-centric hate breed, all of that stuff and mm-hmm. the tune-in and, yeah, it, you know, because, and this is me projecting, but I hope that I'm somewhat accurate, like you – you're not a tough guy. That's not like your vibe. Yeah. <laughs> and no, so, but you were trying to, I guess in a, in a way, not like embody that, but you identified with elements of that tough guyness besides like, you know, trying to like beat people up or whatever. Yeah, I guess more that, uh, you know, I, I, I always have gravitated towards, uh, I've always gravitated towards music that in the great, I think again, could be revisionist, but I've always gravitated towards music that doesn't, um, I, I love the music and not necessarily the people sometimes surrounding it. Uh, so like I love metal a lot and of course like love metal, but it's, you know, I, I'm, 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 I feel, I always kind of felt semi out of place at like a death metal fest, but then also felt out of place when I was super into industrial as in junior high. And then, you know, I wasn't wearing a lot of uh, leather dusters uh, and trying to get to S&M clubs. Sure. Uh, and same with like, I like mosh, but I also, I mainly, I like riffs a lot. Like I just like big riffs. I think I grew like Connecticut to me, you grow up on classic rock. Uh, uh, we have a lot of classic rock in Connecticut. Uh, it's like 99 rock WPLR. And, um, and so I, I, I kind of like, 
you know, gravitated towards not just even in heavy music and grindcore, et cetera, not just like that it's heavy or slow for the sake of that, that it has big riffs. And hate breeds, you, one, you don't escape them in Connecticut, but they are the master of the fucking riff. Yes, <laughs> it's true. Jamie always knew what he was doing. Uh, the moment when you hear, uh, if you've heard it after Hatebreed and you heard Entombed's Crawl EP and you're like, wait a second, that riff is a Hatebreed riff. Like, yep. there is almost no for note <laughs> a Hatebreed song, but he knew where to pick from the best and he knew how to kind of deliver that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it, it's always been that's like, well, uh, you know, but it was always it still kind of is a problem with like metal where it'd be like, well, not necessarily politically or ethics. Am I kind of lining up? But musically, it, it speaks to me. Um, yeah. In yeah. the grand scheme. The, ri- the Yeah. The, the riff is uh, like you said, you're, you're following that more than anything else. Yes. Yeah, the riff. So it's like why even when I, you know, uh, first really got into hardcore, it was like, oh, I'm gravitating towards burn and inside out. Uh, uh, and you know, starting it all with quicksand because it's like these are these are riffs, like they have mm-hmm. they have licks, like and right. uh, uh, after all these years, I still kind of stand behind. Like there's that Palaka song where that like ends with them yelling like, and I hate rock and roll, and it's like I still kind of hate the concept of rock and roll, but I'd rather listen to Thin Lizzy than most things because I got riffs. <laughs> <laughs> totally it's like yeah i understand your conceit but uh i don't agree i don't agree with the musicality of it it's just right. sick yeah. yes it's just sick um yeah. uh, and connecticut had a lot of that so it was it was good um but we also right. like had the same exact bands every single weekend i was reminded of that recently like i saw a photo of like a flyer of like a fest my like high school band played and I was like, this fest is legitimately just the same show that has happened every weekend with like two extra bands. Um, <laughs> I did. I, I do love that that fact. Also, there was no concept of bands overplaying. Like, oh God, you, no. no, you just played. Like sometimes you like to your point. You know, it's like if you got offered seven shows at the tune in in a month, you'd be like, yeah, I would play every single one, no questions. Never thinking, and and I mean also like. Look, hardcore is the best, and it's also uh, a, a music style that a lot of it, both lyrically and uh, uh, kind of the ideas behind it, were set up originally by like 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds yep. who still have their brains being formed. So that is why when my first hardcore band played our first show, of course we were like, yeah, we're going to play every song we know. Like, it's not crazy to be our first show and we're trying to play for 45 minutes. Like, and then immediately being like, what are we doing? No one wants to watch that. Uh, And then we'd agree to literally every show because also that's what you're doing at the time. Like, I wasn't partying. Uh, I wanted to play shows. That's all I cared about. Right. Yeah. And every I, I do like that the the innocence of children in regards to, oh, yeah, like we should at least do three to four covers in a set, like just because <laughs> it's like, why not? Of course you would do that. Of course you would. Luckily, we were smart. We stuck to just one cover that we would play till we beat the dead horse out of it. <laughs> we did it inside out, burning oh. fight over and oh. over. 
Yeah. Cla- yeah. Classic. Yeah. You, you want to play the cover to obviously get the kids moshing, circle pitting, yes. whatever. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Prime the park. If you can't get them to mosh to the rest of your own original songs, <laughs> like bring out Inside Out. Totally. Then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, it was us. It wasn't that. <laughs> right. Yeah. But then it, clearly the photos that are captured on your seven inch will not depict that it's actually a cover song you're playing. <laughs> no. God, no. no. Those are those are a chain of strength photos. Uh, <laughs> yes, we all we're all liars and hardcore. <laughs> Absolutely. This is taken at the practice space. We got this. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so as you I mean, how did you, I guess, discover the subculture? Was it one of those things where it just kind of you know, seeped into your consciousness via, you know, friends, like 120 minutes. Like what was your kind of inflection point? Well, I think, you know, like, luckily for us, like in the grand scheme, when we kind of really discovered it, like the kind of punks in Cheshire, the hardcore kids, that's also a delineation I love to say is that like, there was a period where everyone was like, I'm not a hardcore kid. I'm a punk. And I'm like, no, I was never a punk. I'm a hardcore kid. Um, that's a very strong statement. Uh, luckily, we were right by New Haven. So as you said, we had the tune in. Uh, but also, you know, Cheshire, even though I didn't know him, it's like down the line, I was like, oh, Legs McNeil's from Cheshire. Like he invented the term punk, like, you know, to be used in terms of music. And he wrote, please kill me. Uh so, uh, you know, we, we kind of, uh, we, we had that there, I think, like kind of existing in Cheshire, but, you know, there was like one random dude, maybe a year or two older than us who had like a shelter long sleeve. Um, and, you know, I'd be shocked uh, that I'm seeing this, whatever this shirt is. And then there's like one woman with a Murphy's Law shirt. Um, but I think like, you know, my 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 i never i even though we had classic rock my main introduction to music was weird al um just straight up uh right and uh i you know it was the first it was like a merging of my two loves was comedy and music and then pretty quickly after that and when i realized it was more than just even worse uh i found primus and that was my first real love um and uh like primus was like a weird subculture like it was what i was looking for uh and it was like all, everything started kind of uh snowballing at that point it would be like oh i got primus and then there's the bmg club and oh, i'm gonna start ordering shit from that uh and be like oh who are the melvins who's jesus lizard uh i was very like i said started to get very into industrial um uh and but primus was like you know there's like a hidden language like there is with you saying oh they're a louisville band and i know what you're talking about like early on when you're like oh do you say primus sucks that means they're good uh and then very quickly you know from industrial it would be like oh who are all these other bands al jorgensen has done what is palehead that's one of his bands who is ian mckay oh wait ian mckay is in minor threat I've heard of them. They're on the skate video that I see. And then it kind of all snowballed from there, like, you know, skate videos. And then there, and I would say though, the biggest changeover to truly getting into punk and hardcore, but mostly hardcore, because like I would go to random, like, you know, see the pissed uh, in Connecticut. Uh, Mm -hmm. But seeing uh, quicksand on headbangers ball was to me was that was the game changer. Um, uh, I had seen the Rollins band video on headbangers ball. And I was like, who the hell is this short haired guy screaming at me? Uh, at first I merged Henry Rollins with, uh, Phil Anselmo and Pantera, uh, cause they both had shaved heads basically. 
Um, sure. But then I would be like, oh, Rollins was in this band Black Flag. What do they sound like? Oh, Minor Threat. I, we went the other way. And I was like, who's Fugazi? I guess I should get a Fugazi record. But Quicksand was like the phaser and the Dine Alone video. I was like, what is this? This is different. And then, I, you know, my aunt was a hair metal woman. Like she loved Poison. And she like gave me the Black Album because it was too heavy for her uh but she would rip out articles from old like rip magazine and like uh and she gave me one on quicksand and it listed off every single band they were in and that's oh, it yeah that's great Once that's all you, you have need. that yeah. that was literally like that and then finding out that rage against the machine i was like oh i should get lock up because tom morello was in this funk metal band but then i was like what's inside out uh and that really started something um, but yeah, quicksand, this one article, all of a sudden burn bold beyond absolution, gorilla biscuits, youth of today. So then it's like, Pandora's okay, box. Yeah. Pandora's right. box. It literally was like, that's it. Because that's what I would do with my time before I got in the scene was like, especially when I became friends with Jay in junior high, like we would watch Saturday night live and headbangers ball and go back and forth on Saturday nights. But once you start getting those tapes, then it's just like, okay. I'm a hardcore kid. Like, that's what I'm yep. doing. Um, uh, and the bummer was at the time, I mean, it's great for resale now because people love tapes for some reason. But I would be like, I'm going to try it out by just buying the tape because it was cheaper. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait, Burn only has one record. Oops. I guess I just have it on tape now. Um, yep. I wish I had it on vinyl. But uh, yeah, to me, like, really, that was the beginning. And then it literally just kind of went from there. I had a a Christmas right on that year too that like i remember getting fugazi in on the kill taker quicksand slip and black flag damaged and that's it it's all it's all hell after that of just being a punk kid basically <laughs> right right I, I do really like that the the connective tissue that you start to put together because you're it, it's like you're you know this just really nerdy and i mean encyclopedia brown's kind of a dick anyways but like mm-hmm. just yeah, <laughs> Yeah, just that notion of like, oh, I'm going to peel away these layers and like I'm discovering things that no one else is discovering. Right. <laughs> and like, I, yeah, it's like you're this uh, detective that has that that whiteboard, you know, it's like putting yeah. all those. Yeah, I was connecting the red lines together. Uh, exactly. And I still kind of I do that in everything still. But like, you know, once you start that, then all of a sudden you start to realize like, wait, these bands didn't just exist in the past. Like. There are bands that they then became quicksand, but then also, wait a second, there are bands in Connecticut. Oh, there's a hardcore scene. Like there are other bands. Yeah. Uh, and then also then pretty quickly it became, all right, I guess we're starting a band. Um, and then all of a sudden you're in the Connecticut hardcore scene and, uh, you know, uh, then that's the rest of your life, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, no, it's very. And I, I think, too, there. I mean, even though you are not an only child, I definitely think there is that, you know, obsession where if you are discovering all this stuff on your own, it's not like you're going to your mom or dad or, you know, your older brother and being like, oh, how how does this sound? Like, where does this band sit? You're just kind of, you know, yeah. figuring it out on your own or using your friends as a resource as well. No. And like in retrospect, like the the, the later rediscover of the love of bands like <laughs> Scorpions and uh, Thin Lizzy uh, and then also like you know deep cut sketch comedy and like movies came from being like oh that's what my kind of family introduced and my dad was always had like kind of good taste in music i felt at the time but 
yeah, punk was and hardcore was like kind of all on my own. And then once we kind of found the friend group, it was like all within us. Um, uh, and it, it, it did feel like, oh, I found this thing that means something, uh, after, you know, already having a lifetime of like, I don't know if I really like the world. Uh, I need something to go along with this combined with when you discover that there's a concept called straight edge and you're like, wait a second, I always hated drinking. There's a name to it. Oh, I (laughs) now don't me. Yeah, now I don't feel like a jackass for not going to the parties and not kind of liking the jocks. Um, uh, and so, yeah, like it did feel like that. And then vegetarianism and all the kind of ethics that also get attached and you start to build who your personality is uh, uh, based around that to some extent. Because as you said, it at least for me, it was like, oh, this existed. Great. But now I have a name to call it, uh, yep. you know. And yeah. it's attached, and it's attached to something that is edgy, cool, like you know, yeah. outside. Of- I mean, to us, not to most normal people, be like, "What the hell is this? Why are a bunch of sweaty people in a room or whatever?" But um, at least right, there's but something. At that, but tangible. at that point, it was, uh, you know, I was as we all were. I mean, when it, that's part of like looking back, like is realizing how much uh, to me, like mental illness is a part of hardcore and punk, and just like you know, not many of us are going to hardcore and punk because we were happy um, with the world and ourselves. Uh, But I think I was so unhappy that like, even looking back that like, I would be like, yeah, this is the thing that is me. And like, it's, and now I'm going to use it against people. Like, I'm going to be like, fuck you. And I think I definitely had, you know, people at my high school who were like scared that I had claimed straight edge. uh, Cause I would used to hang out with like the, you know, like the hippies in the theater program. Um, and they didn't know what the fuck it was. Uh, and I, again, as you said, I don't come across as like a tough guy. So it was like, I swear I'm just Jeff. <laughs> like, I'm still cool. I'm still like, you know, I'm not going to beat you up about it. Uh, right. I just like aggressive music. Yeah, I exactly. just like aggressive music. And when I scream, I'll sound like Paul Bearer for some reason, even though I'm a 16 year old, I'll sound like I'm in sheer terror. Right, right. That just that is your natural voice. That that's it really happens. was when I discovered it. I was like, oh boy, there it is. <laughs> that's a low <laughs> one, because that's partly how I also like got into. It. It's like part of my like origin story is like my high school band was started because my voice was changing because of puberty. Like still, and I could replicate Siv's voice on the self titled tape. So on okay. the hold your ground when his voice is cracking, I thought it was very funny to walk through my high school halls and just scream that. And then my skinhead friend, uh, my Colombian skinhead friend, Rob, uh, was like, oh, we should start a hardcore band. Uh, and I was like, yeah, sure. He's like, you can scream in it. And then my my, you know, what became my best friend, Eric, who is a total metalhead dirtbag. He was like, I want to join the band. And then Rob never showed up to the first practice. And then it was just like, all right, I guess we're in a band. And then there it went. Like, uh, right. It what was the, what was the name of that band? Uh, Switch Stance. Um, oh, that, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 a solid name. It wasn't bad. I mean, we put out like one demo. We were on like some tape comps. And uh, it's like it, it's like Switch Stance begat All I Ask, which had Jay in it from Orchid as well. And then that begat orchid in a weird connected way but like yeah we were just like once we started it was like all right that's what we're gonna do like you know lunch break at high school well my my buddy eric will try to call fernando pinto at the tune-in 
and try to get us on a show. Like, you know, <laughs> while they're like, while all the kind of people we, I didn't like, were trying to like book their party for the weekend. We're calling about the mad ball show. Like and seeing if we can get on it. Um, totally. And, and, and like I said, every show ended up slowly being where it was like, you know, we were right at the time when it was like every show in Connecticut was always fast break, tenfold, follow through, uh, ground zero. And then like in between there would be like sometimes hate breed, sometimes dissolve, sometimes overcast. Um, but it was just like cycling the same show over and over. Oh, of course, of course, especially when you're pulling in that. Uh, I mean, I remember the first time I, I toured on the East Coast of understanding like, oh, wait, you don't need to drive eight hours, like eight hours. Yeah. yeah. It, and it's just like you're pulling from so many people, even though there's such disparate scenes. And yeah. it is like. Oh, it's unbelievable how you can do that in the Northeast versus the West Coast. Yeah. Uh, you know, but then you also end up playing with 25 to Life a bunch. So. <laughs> right. And then, you, yeah, you've got uh, Rick's distro that is at every show, including Jamie's as well. I mean, Jamie had a great distro. Well, that was so. the thing. The Connecticut was all the tune-in to me because it was also, like I said, there was another club called Studio 158 that I never went to. And to me, that's where, like, the ebullition bands went. If I look at their lineups now, I wish I had seen a bunch of them um like cable would play there more so in my mind um but yeah like if it wasn't if it wasn't fernando it was jamie booking every show um in connecticut at the time so that would be a thing like i remember my my our guitarist would get like flyers from jamie when they were touring europe and being like can you distro these for me um but so good And it, it, I always found, I mean, I, I think I played one show at the tune in that Jamie, I don't think he actually booked, but he showed up, but it, it just felt so bizarre. Be- I mean, by that time they were signed to victory and it was just so right. weird to be like, what is Jamie still doing here? It's just like, well, that dude is always there. It's like, why would he that's, not be there? <laughs> that's the oldness for me where like, I still think of satisfaction as the death of desire as the new Hapri record. <laughs> like, yeah, of course. Right. 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 I'm just, came I just, yeah, because I just remember, like, I would listen to, like, I remember when Under the Knife came out and Jamie brought it to the skate shop I would hang out at uh, on tape. And it had, like, a joke making fun of one of the choruses in the lyrics. And, like, uh, uh, but, like, you know, I bought the 93 demo from Rick to Life, uh, as you said, in his tape distro, where he also bootlegged my own band, Switch Dance, like, as he is wont to do uh, in the time. It can't, definitely was on a Radio Shack tape. And it definitely had a purple cover. And I was like, I did not do that. Brick. Jeez. But, yeah. You're like, wait a minute. That doesn't seem legitimate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's brick to life. That is. That is. There's an important thing that you can do to support bands in general. Obviously, you go to shows. You know, you can uh, buy their records. But a very direct way is merchandise. And the best place to buy merchandise online is rockabilly.com. Use the code 100 words or less that gets you 10% off your order. And this is a very virtuous circle that exists. You buy merch. You look cooler. This podcast gets credit. Rockabilia gets business. Everybody wins. But joking aside, it is all officially licensed stuff that is really important in the world of bootlegs that exist currently. And, you know, I, I am guilty of buying bootlegs. I understand. But at the same time, I also buy a lot of merch from Rockabilia. So please go to rockabilia.com, have fun, start to prep your Christmas list, buying stuff for your friends, your family, and you can do it all at one spot at rockabilia.com using the promo code 100 words or less. That's the number 100, and it gets you 10% off your order. Thank you for your continued support, Rockabilia. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. Did you care about... um... I mean, once music started to consume you, was it one of those things? I mean, I know that comedy was running in parallel to you getting into music as far as your obsession over that as well. Mm-hmm. Did you care, like, was there room for school or was that basically like, whatever, I don't care? No, there was. I mean, I would fit it all in kind of like how I guess I still do with life. I mean, I, I, even though like I didn't love the jocks, I played sports up until my junior year. Um, because my dad was also like Cheshire's one of their high school football coaches, uh, which I was never great at football and Cheshire was very good at football. So it was definitely like a little bit of a conflict. Um, and then eventually I was uh, like, I kind of did it just to not piss him off. It always felt like, and then I always was like pretty good in school and, you know, and then it, it would suffer a little bit when band started, but I also, uh did acting at that time um so it kind of helped my academics that especially the senior year of high school i i i had my band i was doing the connecticut hardcore scene and i uh went to a acting school in new haven um like i would leave my high school before lunch period which i hated be able to drive to New Haven and I did acting for the rest of the day. Um, so I, I think it, it helped me in general uh, kind of still focus on school. Uh, I didn't just give it all up. I, I, I had too much fear to let any of my grades go that, that far down. <laughs> right. There was, yeah, the, the sense of purpose was instilled in you. Like, wait a minute, I can't just completely abandon this whole like real life thing. Yeah, no, I'm still going to college and I'm not going to make my family angry. And like, you know, fear and shame drives me uh, and always has. Uh, so, um, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, as you started to, you know, really dive into the scene and, you know, play shows and get those weekend warrior gigs and stuff like that, I- I'm going to guess that, um, 
I mean, I don't even know actually how, like you said, you joined Orchid kind of, you know, I guess halfway through their life. Um, yeah. Was it was it one of those things that you were watching what Orchid was doing and being like, oh, that's cool that like my friends are doing this. You know, I wish I could be, you know, touring on a more national level or were you just obviously, you know, kind of keep into what you were doing back at home? Uh, no, I thought it was very cool and I was very jealous. Um, uh, (laughs) yeah. Uh, well, because that was, you know, Orchid was like in the grand scheme, Orchid was the college band for all of us. Um, but you know, Jay went to Hampshire, like I, I knew Jay since junior high and then he went to Hampshire. Um, and then Orchid started after he kind of got there and, and I, I, I was always kind of you know, I was proud of what we did in Switch Dance and I was proud of what we were doing with All I Ask uh, with Jay on guitar, me just screaming and hitting myself in the head and throwing our guitars around like we were coalesce. Um, but when Orchid started, I was like, oh, Orchid's good. <laughs> like, I was like, we were, they, they've got it. Like, Will has got the goods. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, like, I think like I was still like, I was in Boston. I was at college, you know, doing my own thing. Um, and kind of making all my new friends there. And then, you know, we even in there, like we had a short lived band that was me on bass and guitar or bass and vocals. And then Jay was playing drums. Uh, and it was just like this and my buddy Eric on guitar. And it was like called Suffragette. And we only played three shows, but it still was like somehow we played with like Death Threat. Uh, like the, you know, the tragedy, his heroes gone related death threat and like the locust. Um, and then I started another band in college, but like I was, yeah, I was always, uh, I was, I was envious. Um, uh, but I knew that they were there and they were doing their thing. Uh, and then, you know, I, I didn't, uh, Brad was having some problems, uh, and it had to take, you know, a leave from school. Uh, because again, Orchid was a college band, and I remember I, w- I was home visiting uh, Connecticut, and Jay was home too. And again, could be revisionist history. I think we were sitting in his hot tub at his parents' house. <laughs> like they just had like this old funky hot tub that we'd like to sit in and just talk about the world forever. And he was just like, "Yeah, he's like Brad has to leave. Do you want to join Orchid?" And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> like and that makes sense sure right yeah it really was just like a make sense and if if i i don't know the internal conversations over there but like you know i think will was just kind of like yeah it makes sense like just you know jeff is a friend of the band and and uh, and you know a competent bass player and at that point they had already had uh they had already booked that they needed to record with Kurt. So they were going to record the 10 inch and a bunch of splits. And then they had already kind of booked the chase by bees tour, which was a tour with Jerome's dream. Um, and again, I was envious because I never really done touring just weekend warrior stuff. Like we go to Northampton and play. Um, but yeah, once uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. And I still found a way to finish my school. Uh, my, my, you know, uh, at Boston University but even that like the first tour our our breaks were off of each other so I had to take a week off of my uh second semester and like had to clear it with all my professors and one professor didn't let me take his class and I was all pissed off I apparently didn't <laughs> learn about independent cinema that semester um sure. so I didn't get to watch more Jim Jarmusch movies that aren't oh just okay at best um but uh 
but yeah, so once I joined Orchid, though, I mean, it was it was just kind of a whirlwind a little bit because like it really was just like, OK, I guess I joined Orchids. I'm still going to graduate. So I just would book all of my classes uh, from Tuesday to Thursday and try my best to fit them all in. And then the minute my class would be done on Thursday, I'd get in the, my car and drive to Northampton and spend the weekend there, like learning the songs, trying to help flesh them out a little bit more, uh, practicing, or if we had a show. Um, and then all of a sudden I was like, okay, and we're recording, we're doing this, and then we're playing this, and then we're going on tour. And I just kind of went with it, um, uh, which is partly also how I would exist in music to some extent. Like things would just happen. I'd be like, okay, we'll do that. Yeah, yeah, sure. That, that I'll ma- do that. That makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Right. That's the, <clears throat> that seems like the logical next step. So, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm guessing it, it was really interesting during that time, too, where you had all of these bands that were, you know, able to tour, put up records and have, you know, for lack of a better term, a quote unquote fan base, because clearly that wasn't how bands were operating back then. Right. I, I, I'm going to guess that you know, Orchid in regards to the sustainability of the band, like there was no business implications that you were guys were um, not saying that you were not considering futures of, you know, this is our release for our yeah. next tour, all that sort of stuff. But just the idea that there was uh, something down the road, I'm going to presume that that was definitely not in your guys's vision and wheelhouse. Not at all. And that's why also is why, when you kind of stop the ride and you're like mid to late thirties, you're like, Whoa, geez. <laughs> like, you know, because it's all kind of connected into Panthers as well. But like, no, it wasn't. I, 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 and I, in some ways I almost was like, am I actually at that time? Was I actually achieved a little bit more? What is the mental space that I think a lot of us, as we get older, are trying desperately to get to through therapy and meditation of being present. And just like, this is what I'm doing. This is the journey, like all the stuff that can be commodified by kind of like, you know, self-help culture, because I don't, I don't think any of us were really where it was just like, yeah, we booked a tour. That's what you're going to do. And then, right. okay, like, a, the, oh, we're going to put out a record? Great. We should write the LP. Okay. <laughs> like, we're going to go to Europe? Cool. Like, let's do that now. Uh, and you kind of instead just kind of facilitate. But, like, there wasn't certainly not an Orchid. I mean, because also, though, like, Orchid is, in my mind, uh, just like most uh, kind of quote-unquote popular bands is like, most of the shows were are awesome and not great all at the same time. Like most of the shows were playing some kid's living room in the middle of Idaho, you know, with yep. no one there. Like, and, and you get a lot of that now, which I get that is nostalgia, but also the kids who weren't there. And I do the same thing with bands before my time where it's just like, man, that must've been a sick show. Like, can you imagine all those bands together? Like, and it's just like, yeah, we all were trying to vie for the floor of the least gross, crusty kid. Like, and like, you know, try to get some Taco Bell like right. now and then. Like, and there was, know, and there was yeah. 15 people there. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> there was 15 people and they were excited as fuck. But like, uh, it was like, you know, peppered in these kind of like big shows. And I do think like right 
towards the end it's just like any band though that we would we would have those shows where it was like it's a little silly we're playing trying to play on the floor um it just isn't viable anymore like when we played more than music fest it both was like really fun that we were playing in basically this big auditorium and we had all the kids come up on stage to kind of replicate it but also i remember being like can you get off my equipment like i need to play my bass like the song doesn't exist if you keep turning my distortion off like um yeah and there's there needs to be a separation here for there does technical purposes yeah it's the jerkiest but is as i've gotten older where it's like you kind of especially in that world of kind of diy punk you do have that bit of like we're all the same like you the audience us and the band we're just all people and it's like true but also like i worked really hard on these songs like and i'm the one who drove here for eight hours so Don't push me out of the way to get to Jay to sing along, mostly because the song's going to fall apart if you knock over Selene's drum set. Uh, I, I get <laughs> right. it. It's excitement, but you're not going to have a blast beat with no snare. It's very, very true. <laughs> the... Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. The, the kind of moving to uh, Panthers, I, that was such a interesting time and a place for mm-hmm. you guys to exist as a band because Vice, I mean, especially for you personally, clearly being a you know straight edge adult, mm-hmm. um, maybe not at that time. I mean, I know you are still straight edge, but at that time you weren't an adult. <laughs> Just yeah, the, I, yeah. Adultish. I, t- I was adult-ish, yes. I'm not sure I necessarily became an adult till like two years ago. So <laughs> <laughs> Totally, yeah, yeah. Once, once you have a, a, ch- a child in your purview, Changes it's a little some bit adultness, adultish. finally. Yeah. But, I mean, that that was such a, you know, Vice was the, like, purveyor of cool. It was like, oh, yeah, if you, you know, you do drugs and you play in cool bands and, like, you know, yeah, we got a record label. We got all this, we, you know, all of these corporate interests. And right. then, you know. You, you guys were, you know, smack dab in the middle of it. Plus, you know, many of the other, uh, you know, bands that existed. Was it, 
I mean, like you said, you kind of with Panthers, it was very much like, you know, one foot in front of the other and like, oh, I guess we'll do this, you know, really random, like, oh, yeah, we'll play this, you know, fashion show, or whatever. Right, <laughs> just right. like doing these random things. Did it feel like I, I presume it felt very different than what Orchid was doing, but there was probably a lot of similarities as well that you were just kind of existing in this weird world? Yeah, I like it. It was like similar and different. Like, I think we all. I wouldn't say we all. I, I think most of us had like a bit of a shock when we kind of started Panthers. Cause like, I, I, I get it. Like I, in some way, like I finally, like recently was like looking back, I was like, oh yeah, going from Orchid to Panthers is like Rev Records version one going into like version two, you know, where it's like, what the fuck is Farside and Shades Apart have to do with burn like you know what i mean like where it's just like oh there's it's like a different even quicksand from gorilla biscuits like at the time it was just so wild um and but like for us it just kind of felt natural it was like well we graduated college we're all moving to new york we're gonna live with kip from the red scare and we're gonna start a band and like kip kind of has these riffs he started with and you know when we first started you kind of do what you know, which is play ABC No Rio. Um, and I I don't I don't think it's revisionist, but like in my mind, it was like pretty quick that it wasn't even necessarily a hundred percent our choice, but it felt like, oh, you don't want us to be playing ABC No Rio. Like there's some of you might want it, but like I just think like to me and I could be wrong. It's my, again, my version of it, but it's like Panthers did hit at an odd time of just a changing of the guard. It hit at an odd time of like, even the, some of the fans, not all the fans, but some of the fans of Orchid were growing up as well, starting to broaden their horizons of music. And like, we're like upset. We weren't sounding like Orchid, but I'm not convinced they really wanted another Orchid record. Like they were moving on to whatever they were moving on to. Um, and so I don't know. It was it was just like again, Panthers is a big chunk of my therapy in life. It's just figuring out because a band I'm super proud of, but it was just so we spent six years and and it felt like uh even though the Orchid shows were always like uh, you know, a struggle, it just like made more sense logically in the world uh that we were in at the time. And like Panthers always felt a little bit like one step forward, two steps back mostly on our end like we would like and you know um and i i do think it uh it 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 was just like a shock but it was also partly that was like well there's this new world of music that's happening in brooklyn and we're not recognizing it as a scene like it's weird that there are now these like oral histories about that time and i you know, I've said it before. I read that "Meet Me in the Bathroom" oral history, and I was like, I don't think that's what was happening. Like, right. I was, I'm, I could be wrong. Like, because at the same time, I always, as you're pointing out, I always was the straight edge vegetarian member of the band. Yeah. Like, I was always still the kind of the hardcore kid in my mind. Like, and so, like, I, 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 and I always was with my now wife too. Like, so none of that stuff I gave a fuck about. Um, I just wanted to play music. Like, I didn't like hanging out with people. I didn't like that we would play more shows that would become parties because I didn't want to go to a party anyways. Um, And so I don't know. It was just like we it was just years of 
<laughs> weird growing pains. Um, and even like the crowds kind of growing with us or against us. And then, you know, the thing with Vice is Vice was actually a, a kind of a great label. Uh, it, it's, it's like one of those, like, it's like a freaking documentary where you got to be like, you got to remember what it was like at the time. But like Vice was different than it is now. And also didn't have the weight of freaking Gavin McInnes and like, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think it's revisionist that we like we had a discussion when we were like signing where we we're like, we are very concerned with this guy. We are, a, you know, we are a political band in a lot of ways. <laughs> we're not dealing with this asshole. Um, yeah. And they all, uh, were like, we're we're working on it. Like he's out um, even right. at that time. Um, but like. <sighs> You know, I I think Vice to me was one of those things where I was like, yeah, they're a subsidiary of a major. And yeah, they are kind of these like tastemakers, which I always had a distaste for to some extent anyways. I would think half the magazine was funny and half of it was just like kind of bullshit what became edgelords. Um, But they were also kind of a better label and like more ethical, at least the label itself than some of the punk labels we would deal with sometimes <laughs> like, and had their shit together. And like vice records always felt separate uh, from the actual vice itself. Like I loved the people involved, like the main people, like Pat Riley was one of the best people ever. And Adam Shore and Jamie Farkas. Um, Cause they seemed to actually care about music, which was refreshing mm-hmm. at that time. I was like, Oh, you, this is legitimate. Like you guys care about this stuff now, right? We, uh, we did, which might also be a sign. Like it's not all my choice, but it might have been like a sign of what most of my career would be. Where it's like even what we signed to with Vice, we delivered a completely different record than what they were expecting. <laughs> <laughs> sure. They wanted a hardcore band. They were like, we're signing like a hardcore punk band. Like they liked Are You Down a lot, even though people did not like Are You Down, um, the first Panthers record. Uh, people sure. hated it. Uh, but they were like, oh, we're signing like this kind of like aggro punk band. Like, you know, and then we were like, great, we're going to write a double LP because we all rediscovered Pink Floyd's Live at Pompeii. Um, and right. I really went down the prog train on my end and the stoner rock train and like so much proto metal. Um, but they still stuck with us like in there. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, yeah, there's a, there's a lot mixed up in that, but yeah, and that, we that never makes delivered. sense what you're talking about. We never delivered. Right. <laughs> I mean, they like supported and they like, it was nice to like, when we signed, like, you know, we had like all of a sudden, like for the first time in our lives, like, oh, they gave us like a nice budget and they helped us get some better equipment and paid for our record or our, our recording space or like our practice space. And then, you know, we sold the same amount of records we always sell. <laughs> like right. nothing changed. Like, yeah, we got this. Just... We got this dialed in for you guys. You, you know what you're getting. <laughs> End of the day. Well, that was the thing. End of the day, it was just like, we're not going to be death from above 1979. Um and we're not going to be Chromio or whatever the other bands were. We're not even going to be fucked up. Uh, and we also were difficult. We also were in my mind. We were like we're having, we're trying to figure out ourselves. Like I don't, I don't know. The weird part about being in a band is it really it can it can only really completely exist for like young young people. But no one is mentally there when they're young to really be in a band. Um, so like. 
I think they wanted us to kind of try to get on like warp tour, and we were like, no, we're not doing that. Like yeah, we still like our yeah, not our vibe was like a big thing, but we also made sometimes the, I think in retrospect the like that's not our vibe, but we're not going to tell you what our other vibe actually is. <laughs> so right, we're we're not going to provide it. Yeah, we're not going to provide a solution for you. It's like we know what we don't want to do. It's like well, what do right. you want to do? Which is the world. That's most people also like and like that's like it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately is like when you kind of like especially coming out of hardcore and punk when you live your life in opposition eventually you have to decide well what is the thing that you are doing on the opposite end like you can't just say I hate this stuff I'm not going to do it and then be like don't have an answer Uh, and I'm not sure we came up with enough answers. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No for sure. Uh, two last things I want to hit on was the, you know, I mean, the clear intersection between, you know, comedy and punk and hardcore is there, even though there's a wide swath of people who are involved in comedy, even, you know, sketch and independent comedy that don't have any affiliation with that, but just these simple DIY nature of, Hey, go to a place that no one's giving you permission to do and just set a thing up and talk to people through a microphone. It's the same idea. Mm -hmm. Um, as you've kind of traveled through it and worked through, you know, a variety of different circumstances in the comedy world, do most people, I guess, like not have that uh, sort of general awareness or connective tissue to understand that it's like, these are virtually the same thing, you know, playing in bands and playing in, in, or, you know, performing stand-up comedy. Yeah, I do. Th- I, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't think so exactly. Like, I mean, because, like, as you said, there are those kind of like Venn diagram overlaps where you're like, oh, Kyle Kinane is a punk. Like, you know, yep. Jonah Ray is a punk. Like, they actually like in in a punk in the way that I imagine. Because that was also like, you know, I spent most of my you know main comedy career was at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. Um, you know, I, I was kind of doing stuff there for like you know, 13 to 15 years, like teaching sketch for like eight years there. Um, and uh, I, anytime people would be like, I, I would honestly like trying to not talk too much about being in bands. Uh, Cause they would always imagine like, Oh, you're in like huge bands. Like, and they didn't really right. understand the punk thing. And like, didn't help that like good friends, like this guy, Matt Rubano, who is also in taking back Sunday, all American rejects. And like is currently in angels and airwaves was doing stuff at the same time. And it would be like, I would always be like, talk to Rubano. Like he's, he's what you are thinking of. Like I was like in some squat in Germany. Like it's just a different world. Um, But I do think to me, the difference and it's, and it's also, again, I think, I don't know if it's to the detriment of my career or I just have to accept it is like, uh, uh, partly with that, like, kind of punk and hardcore drive of like, I can kind of uh, create this world. I can do it myself. Um, I also have never been hugely career driven uh, in a way. And there's a lot of people who have a lot more hunger than I do. Uh, And even when I was younger and I'd be like, oh, this is just a different vibe. Like you wouldn't get the punk world I'm coming from completely Um, because you want to be a star like sort of thing. And I just want to right. create the things I want to create. Um, uh, and, and so, yeah, there, it, it, there definitely is, but it's also like, you know, man, it's like anything like the word punk 
it's not in some way of like, oh, punk is dead, but it's just been co-opted so much that like UCB would talk about how they were like the punk comedy theater. And I was like, and the Fugazi of comedy. And I was just like, even then I was like, I don't feel like you really know what Fugazi steel is <laughs> like, like it right. just, I, I just, just cause it's five bucks. Doesn't sh- that's not enough. Like that's not like, cause even in music, there's only one Fugazi. Like, you know, we all had this, grand ideal that none of us were ever going to be able to achieve totally Um, it's like fitting i mean when people do it happens almost in every single you know this sounds very business and cold like but just you know every entertainment vertical of like Mm -hmm. yeah you can't constantly compare to the complete unicorn that this band this movie this book was it's just like yeah so we want to be the bible it's like there's only one bible what are you doing (laughs) I mean, and that is the, it really is the battle of a creative where you're just like, okay, I'm going to constantly be either pitching or trying to make things that the person I'm trying to either sell or push or even just get to listen to is thinking like, yeah, like it's, it, here's the thing, like I've said this many times before, and it's a weird battle I have in my brain that my wife has pointed out where she's like, in comedy, a little bit more. I have uh, a little bit less than I have in punk, but she's like, you get really upset that you're like, I want to be funny to everyone. And it's like you compare yourself to these equivalents of Jimmy Page. And it's just like, there's only one Jimmy Page, you know? Yep. <laughs> like, there's only one, there's only one Saturday Night Live. Like, there shouldn't be more than any once. There probably shouldn't be Saturday Night Live sometimes. Um and it, and, it, and it is like, if you're like, yeah, we just want to make this indie, you know, web series that reaches the scope of Star Wars. And you're like, okay, well, I don't, none of that equals out. Uh, and it is, it was always the same in music too. Like it would be trying to find my way. It's, it's how I feel to be, I try my best to, in music and in comedy to try to be as realistic as possible. Um, uh, and to kind of set the kind of level at the the bar at where it should be because yeah again if we were all uh you know trying to achieve fugazi or like to me i always kind of go to that steve albini letter about why bands shouldn't sign to majors and i was like i don't know if any of this really applies to anyone but you like and (laughs) in this very distinct like subset of the character that is quote-unquote steve albini um uh yeah i don't know It, it it it's confusing. It's it because people want to keep things punk too, but then want to reach for the stars. Um, I don't know. I, I haven't found yeah. many answers in the world still as the world has gone on. <laughs> no, no, it's a, it's a very good point. Uh, and the, you know, you looking at the, you know, creative output that you put out there from, you know, teaching UCSB, UCB, <laughs> same difference, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you you teaching and then, you know, being able to do like children's graphic novels and, mm-hmm. you know, still continuing to play music there obviously gets uh, at a point in a person's life where they uh, they don't need to do that anymore. But there's this compulsion and the fact that you've worked in so many different mediums, you know, and this may sound like a reductive or really simple question but just like why do you still feel i guess the need to put stuff out there that's just like that's just who you are and that's the the constant quest 
Yeah, I think honestly that is it. Like in, in in the loftiest terms, it is something me and my friend talk about on one of the podcasts I do. But it's like uh, in the loftiest terms, it's continuously trying to look for what is the kind of truth in the reality in the world and what is the truth in reality in art and what is the truth in reality in what my viewpoints are, um, especially with the fact that, you know, I think most viewpoints in the world have just been kind of uh, uh, blurred out into a world of black and white. Um, uh, And, uh, and, you know, social media doesn't help that all these, you know, I could write a bunch of think pieces that people would love about it. But, um, and I think like I uh, combined with also like, it's the realization of like, I always loved in punk and metal, the black and white, aspects of it um uh the fact that it's like us versus them you can always count on me sick of it all and it's just like who is us and who is them that's not really true uh it's like great for like this fantasy world but it might as well be man of war um but i love that stuff like i i think it's very fun to think in those terms but i i think through wanting i don't know i still just want to make sense of the world combined with honestly I don't want to work in an office as much as possible. <laughs> like, sure. I, that's really a drive. Like, it's like, I want to, it's one of the hard parts of comedy that you start to realize, especially when you come from a punk world where you're kind of like, I, I, I get, I, I have these viewpoints on capitalism and how the world kind of works. And I've worked very hard to not work quote unquote. And now I've set my life up to all of a sudden be trying to constantly get essentially temp jobs, which are writing gigs. Like, you know, it's like, it's like I'm working yep. my butt off to get a 13 week job that will end unceremoniously. <laughs> um, uh, and probably be in an office that looks exactly like any other office. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it also I'm saying this from a point of view where, like, I have always had a very supportive wife. Um, uh, I, I can't fathom that she has been with me for 19 years and dealt with all of the variations that is apparently Jeff Garlock. Um, uh, but, yeah, I just I can't. Here's the thing. I remember once having a conversation. Uh, I, I played in this metal band for a while and still vaguely exists. Low Estate. And bef- uh, I think it was like we had a band before it called The Year Is One. And it was like me and the singer. And we both were like, <sighs> when that band broke up, we we're like, I don't think we should play in a band anymore. And we we're both like, yeah, I think we should probably focus on our like jobs and careers. Then there was a sigh from him and he just goes, but I really love metal. And I was like, <sighs> you're right. God damn yes. it. And we both swore. And then start another band. And like <laughs> that led to whatever those issues were. It's just like the beast you can't escape. It's what I was talking about at the beginning. It's like once I found quicksand, it was the hell that was opened up. But it's the hell that I love. It's 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 uh, you accept its warm embrace, right? <laughs> if, yes, exactly. Like, look, we're all staring into the fucking deep maw of existentialism and doubt and, you know, the the meaningless of the world. So why not, if we can, try our best to create some awesome things still you know right <laughs> really oh, what absolutely. it boils down to right right uh and the last question i'll ask is when most people find out that you you know don't drink don't do drugs which is clearly not uh the norm uh mm-hmm. do people presume that you are a recovering alcoholic or super religious uh 
I do or, remember. Or, yeah, or, I was going to say, or alternatively, do people, you know, uh, ask for a history lesson on straight edge? <laughs> yeah, no, luckily not as much anymore. Like, it's like if people, honestly, I think it actually gets semi-easier when you get older because all the people who kept drinking, uh, all of a sudden they're at our age and they're starting to have some issues with their bodies. <laughs> and they're like, sure. I got to do, do sober February. And I'm just like, all right. Like, Godspeed, man. Or, you know, like, uh, alcoholism has caught up to them, whatever it is. Um, You know, I I, I think, uh, yeah, it doesn't, it honestly doesn't come up as much. And, like, and if people, (laughs) I think I can, I've learned to be a lot less Uh, off-putting. You know, my friend Nate once described, he's like, you're not an asshole. You just don't give the vibe you want to meet anyone new. Um, And... I can sometimes like it almost solves that problem. So like when my neighbor's like, oh, I got all these IPAs. I don't drink them. I was like, I don't drink. And I don't know what he thought about it. I just kind of moved on. <laughs> um, but <laughs> also, just drop this right here. Right. But also because it is, as you know, it's just one of those things where like I drank once when I was 16. Like, you know, only because my best friend Eric wanted me to make sure that I didn't want to not drink when I became decide I was straight edge and I right. like, I was like, yeah, this stinks. I don't know. I don't care enough about it. And I have, you know, much alcoholism in my family. And I, uh, so I, I think, uh, honestly, I think that I'm 43, whatever the fuck I am. And I'm every day still wearing some sort of, you know, metal or hardcore shirt is more off-putting that, that I don't drink. Um, <laughs> now that I, for the first time, don't live in a city and live in like a little bit more of a suburb because I live in Pasadena now, I'll like, it's the first time in my life that I'm like, should I not wear my Cannibal Corpse Eaten Back to Life shirt? Like, yeah. how off-putting is it? Uh, you know, maybe I don't need another I Hate God uh, long sleeve. Uh, right. <laughs> Yeah, maybe in the yeah the the, pre, the preschool drop off line, people are just like, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but also it's all I've got, so I'm still waiting on that bolt thrower long sleeve that's supposed to be coming. So, uh, as every normal adult hardcore kid, is. <laughs> I mean, it's really, I mean, it's just the it might as well become it, if it isn't a meme, it definitely is a meme. Like, what old hardcore kid doesn't want a long sleeve bootleg bolt thrower shirt? That's all my Instagram is. Is I've I've muted everyone because I love everyone, but also it all gives me FOMO. So most of my Instagram feed is just pictures of old hardcore bands and bootleg metal shirts. Absolutely. I mean, that as far as I'm concerned, that's really what social media is all about at this point. That's all it should be. I mean, it's all destroying us, anyways. And you know, right? Um, yeah, we might as well. Yeah, we we, we might as well bolster our uh, ridiculous banter collection. You know, yes, it's exactly. Disposable. Look, if I, yeah, if I'm gonna be fucking inundated with fucking the monstrous opinions of everyone around me that just gets furthered uh, by this giant uh, capitalist monster that is just sucking at the teat of our brains destroying it uh i want to get a roxy music bootleg shirt now and then you know of course yeah because yeah. i mean lord knows they did not make them in appropriate sizes back then so it's just like oh wait you you're gonna do a you know either like a, a large or yeah it's just look ridiculous. man i'm happy that i that all of a sudden there's some vintage market for these humongous extra large hardcore shirts that were like purple and I wear like a dress because they were so big. I mean, that's the hard part too of like 
our exact age is like, you know, and it's starting to come around again of like the retroness where I'm like, kids don't wear too many ringer tees. Um, but yeah, like, those don't sell well, right? No, but those <laughs> shirt, like our, all of our shirts, I had a large shirt because again, I loved Al Jorgensen from ministry. It somehow would get larger as time went on. I don't know. It was like the only shirt not shrinking as I got larger myself. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, these, these there are there are definitely mysteries within the context of, uh, you know, band T-shirts. And yeah, I mean, we fortunately we will always have Europe to dump yes. our, you know, in, in old integrity merch that we're like, oh, this doesn't fit very well anymore. Oh, but, my yeah. God. I mean, thank you to the again, the the influx of uh, people liking tapes all of a sudden where I'm like, OK, I'll sell this random Connecticut <laughs> hardcore band to a guy in Japan who is legitimately collecting Connecticut hardcore from 1994 to 97. And I'm like, what God, (laughs) which is also though, it filled my fucking heart because I was like in this world where like every news story about a young hardcore band is about how like they don't see differences. Like new metal is just the same as like hardcore. Like this is a guy who's like, no, like scenes are specific scenes are what's important. Like, right, I, scenes matter. Yeah, he's the <laughs> only guy in the world who's like, I've heard of Switch Dance. Do you have a demo? And I'm like, I have one of them. I can't get it to you. <laughs> right, right. Oh, that's incredible. Well, Jeff, thanks for being a nerd and thanks for hanging out. This has been fun. It was fantastic. Thank you, man. That is that. Thank you very much, Jeff, for coming on the show. And if you are curious about the music that was played at the top of the show, that is his band called The Low Estate. And you can find that on Bandcamp or anywhere that you listen to music. So check that out. And next week, we, of course, have another stimulating guest, a person who is involved in independent music. His name is Dan Ozzy. He is a author. He's made all of the podcast rounds as of late. And I am, uh, you know, batting cleanup, so to speak. But... Joking aside, Dan Ozzy wrote a great book called Sellout. I just got my copy in the mail, so um, you know I'm I'm excited to dig into it. I technically can't say it's great because I have not read it yet. But uh, Dan is a music journalist and a thoughtful dude when it comes to music, so I had to have him on the show, and it just uh, happened to coincide with the fact that he just released a book. So there we go. Dan Ozzy on the show next week, and until then, please be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, 
It's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 